Hello and welcome to The Quiet Living Room, a podcast by Quiet Social Club, where we discuss and explore ideas on how to live and work well in a digital world. Every two weeks, we invite industry experts, entrepreneurs, scientists, and inspiring voices to share their stories, knowledge, and wisdom. My name is Eliana, and I'll be a host in today's episode. I'm joined today by Chloe S. She's a trained user experience researcher, certified digital wellbeing coach, and founder of This Too Shall Grow. She also recently authored her first book, Tech Bliss, 30 Experiments for Your Digital Wellness. So I'm very excited to have Chloe with me today. Together, we'll talk about how we can use technology to promote well-being rather than leading to distraction, and how tech companies can build applications that bring out the best in us as individuals, organizations, and communities. Chloe, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Diana. You started off your career as a UX researcher and spent many years working for tech companies, helping them understand how to build and design applications that keep people engaged. What sparked the move to digital well-being and why do you think digital well-being is so relevant for UX research and UX design? I saw how these apps were being built. I felt like I was kind of in the kitchen of how tech is designed and conceived and rolled out to the greater public. And next to that, I was seeing the impact that some of these apps had on me or family members or friends, especially when it comes to social media. So I figured that we could do so much better than what we've been doing so far. What are some of the problems you are seeing in the way that we're designing technology and applications right now? And how is this affecting us in a negative way? I think we're not valuing the well-being in a general sense of anyone using these apps. And what I mean by general sense is people's time, people's attention, people's mental health. I find a lot of features to intentionally or not be detrimental to a lot of people who use these apps or software in general. I feel like notifications have kind of lost their meaning. You can have a message from your partner and promotion about whatever e-commerce website and anything comes in, everything is meddled together. And there is no, you know, these these things don't carry the same weight and they don't have the same importance to us. But yet we're inundated by them and we often have to, you know, tweak settings and change everything and put our hands into it to make it work better for us. We also have sometimes design patterns that are being used on websites or apps that are deceptive or somehow pressuring us or somehow leading to internet addiction. And maybe they, you know, maybe they're better for the business side of things. Maybe they help sell more, etc. But ultimately, they don't contribute to improving our lives as users. What is your role as a UX researcher and how can that affect the way that we're designing apps? Maybe you can also explain the term UX design to our listeners who are not familiar with the term. In UX research, you are investigating either the users or the product that's being designed. 
For instance, if it's more at the early stage of a process and you don't really have a product to show, you're going to carry research to better understand your users, what they need, what problems they're encountering, um, what solutions they've tried but have worked or haven't worked so far, etc. And then that's going to inform your product decisions and your design decisions. And then later on during the process, once you already have something to show, something concrete, you can, again, you know, keep carrying user research, either to keep learning more about your users or to test your design. So say you have a prototype or a functioning website or app. You're going to organize user tests where you put your product in the hands of people and you ask them questions. You see how they use it, what might be missing, what they understand or don't understand. And you try to do that with a pool of participants that is representative. If I'm designing something for people in retirement, I'm not going to test this product with 15-year-olds. Where does the addictive potential of certain applications come in? And what applications have you seen that you find particularly concerning? There are several patterns that have addictive potentials. For instance, I think of, you know, over gamifying everything and giving badges and points and levels up and leaderboards and all of this for things that don't need to be gamified. That's kind of subjective and gamification isn't necessarily bad. But this is something that can lead to addiction because whenever we receive that kind of reward, a badge or more points or anything, we want to keep playing in. And then that keeps us coming back and coming back and coming back to the product and engaging again with the product, which is the goal, but then, you know, can be detrimental to our well-being. Do you see an awareness within companies that are designing these products that there's a problem with it? And do you see teams trying to find better, more ethical ways of going about building these tech products? What I've observed in general is that there are many designers and developers who are aware of this problem in a global sense, not just about addiction, but tech being detrimental, um, and who want to do better, but they encounter the obstacles of either being one or a few people in the team who feel concerned and want to change things or to not have the buy-in from their hierarchy. What do you see as the ideal, the industry ideal that we could strive for in order to design more ethical applications? And what could be a first step for teams to get there? Within a company, I would encourage, you know, designers, but also developers, PMs, anyone working in tech to try to really embed mindfulness principles or ethics principles within the whole design process. So if you know your values as a company or as a team, you're going to want to make sure throughout all the steps that they are embedded and taken into account. One interesting exercise to ask yourself questions for ethical tech or for mindful tech. It's an interesting test because sometimes you might ask your team members, how would you feel if your kids or parents or spouse knew that you designed this? Um, would you be proud of it? Or you as a five-year-old, would you be proud of it? And who might this product be detrimental to? And 
you know, all of these kind of maybe philosophical questions. So that's for the scale of, you know, a specific team or a specific company. It's kind of a workshop that you can have as a team and that you can, you know, keep having regularly as you roll out new features. Do you see a world where it's possible that addictive apps are not so easily reaching people? Yeah, I think that's what we're beginning to see little by little. Say in the 90s, for instance, the general public wasn't aware at all of all of these effects. I don't think that was a as wide, a, you know, a global public discussion as it's being now. Now, I think around me, even people who aren't working in tech or older generations or younger generations than me are very much aware that there are problems. They might not know the specifics or um, how to change it at their scale. But yeah, there is this general global awareness about it. And then you have more and more people who, like me, come from tech and have seen that very clearly we can do better and we have all the tools to do better and who are, you know, on their own road, whether entrepreneurial road like me or within a company to try to change these things. And then you have the younger generations who really were born within it and who are so aware of, you know, the impact on their well-being and who now are starting to work in tech, who are at the very beginning of their career and who want to change things. How do you think your training in digital being has affected your work and your approach to UX research? That's a good question. Mm, in terms of UX research, I don't think there is that much change as to how research is organized and carried. And I do believe that UX research can actually be a force for for digital well-being, you know, because we're meeting users and asking them how they use this, how this product impacts them and all of this. It's a great tool for discovery. In terms of UX design, I definitely wish that, you know, some sort of ethical process or mindfulness process was more present in how teams work. But I know that that's very difficult to put in place, especially when you're lower in, in the hierarchy or you don't have, you know, that many years of experience. What does your work as a digital well-being coach look like? And how do you help people to get from A to B in the way that they're using their digital devices? I help people have a better relationship with their devices. So that might mean something very different from one person to another. Maybe it gets in the way of their productivity because they're always multitasking and switching, jumping from one thing to the next. Maybe it gets in the way from their family life because instead of having dinner and being with their spouse and kids and everything, they're like half um, also have the time on their phone and something like this. Or maybe it gets in the way of um, their passion project because when they get home at the end of the workday, instead of painting or writing their science fiction book, um, they just watch Netflix. So what I do is I help people tap into what they really want, their ideal, ideal future self, and leverage that to help them forge habits that are better for them and then stick to these habits. How would you say that your training in digital well-being has affected your personal and professional digital habits? There is a lot that has changed. I feel like I'm 
paying more attention to my own well-being and to how I use, for instance, social media. At the moment, I have a really useful um, app that I use to block social media on my phone before 1 p.m. because I realized that I really enjoy having these quiet mornings and not have the chatter of social media. And a couple of times that I do, you know, reflexively want to tap Instagram or Twitter, this app's this app helps me out. Other than that, spending less time on a screen for bedtime, that has also changed. And also helping me with my productivity, as in keeping the phone away while I'm working and avoiding multitasking and things like that. Could you give us some examples of things that your clients are struggling with when they come to you? Something that I've seen very, very, very often is kind of having a scattered attention um, especially during work hours and especially for people who work from home and even more those who work for themselves. Um, and they are at work and they are always switching between trying to do deep focused work and emails and their mobile phone notifications. And all of that does that instead of, you know, having their work day within seven hours it extends into the evening and there's no clear boundary between what is work time when your brain is kind of in this specific mode and then relaxing downtime that's something that i see very often and so we use then all sorts of boundaries to better partition their different activities it seems that in trying to build a better relationship with technology you have to implement some boundaries do you see that as the only way or do you think there are other ways to build better digital habits? I think that's a great question. Um, not everything has to be about boundaries. For instance, I'd really like to highlight all the ways in which tech is beneficial and to, you know, dial it up on those because I really don't want to give off the, the idea that I think the best thing is to just dump your phone in the ocean and never look at a screen again. That's not a solution. Boundaries, unfortunately, come up very often because I think what tech does is, in some way, it prevents us from being fully in control. That's not the only thing that comes in our way, right? We might have obligations, uh, children, whatever, something that, you know, prevents us from fully knowing where we allocate our time and energy and attention and all of this. But that's why boundaries come up so often, because it's an efficient way to, to reclaim control in a way. I feel you've probably heard my next question a lot, but what do you think about digital detoxes? I think it's interesting to do for yourself, but it's kind of like a diet in the sense that if it's only something punctual that you do for 15 days or 30 days or something like this, it's probably not going to change your habits sustainably, right? And um, just like for food, if you have a balanced diet all along, you're not going to need one month or of intensive removing carbs or something like that. I think that's the same for digital detoxes. But it can still be useful and it can still, you know, help you learn things about yourself. If you don't completely quit your phone but for instance you quit social media for two weeks it might still be interesting and you might learn you know how you feel when that happens because that might not happen to you that often but I don't think it's a long-term solution. 
You recently launched your first book, Tech Bliss. What inspired those 30 experiments that you mention in the book? And maybe you can even share one with our listeners today. I wanted to find a very actionable way to suggest new healthy digital well-being habits to people. One thing that I make very clear in the book is that it's not dogmatic. I'm not saying this should be good for you and you need to implement it and it's absolutely going to improve your life because everyone has a different home life, a different work life, different environments and um, desires. So it's really not one size fits all. But with each of these experiments, we can still play with them, try them out for one day or one week. And from that, we learn and we tweak it and we adapt it in the way that better serves us. So that was the inspiration, you know, making it easier to discover healthier tech habits. And each of these experiments is doable in one day. You don't need any material or anything. So it's really easy to get started. So, for instance, towards the end of the book, there's an experiment on oversharing online. I think that's an interesting one because it's not one that comes up as often as, for instance, notifications. Uh, but there are several reasons why we're more likely to overshare online. For instance, the fact that we don't have, um, you know, one-to-one direct reaction to what we're saying. And the fact that we're talking to a lot of people, it makes it, you know, diluted in the mass and impersonal. Um, So in this experiment, I talk a bit about the science behind, you know, why we are likely to do that. And then I encourage people, whenever they're going to post something on social media, to really check in with themselves um, and then to go ahead or not. And if they don't post anything on social media that day, then I suggest just looking at your profile and scrolling a bit and then asking you these questions. Thanks so much for sharing that, Chloe. And I look forward to reading about the 29 other experiments in your book. And of course, we will post a link to the book in the show notes of this episode. Is there something you want to leave with our listeners today? Yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind that it doesn't have to be hard to have a healthier relationship with tech. It does take some work as, you know, anything intentional does. Um, But the effect can last years. And I think it's definitely worth it, especially for people who are really ambitious and goal-driven and want to accomplish a lot of things or, you know, really care about, for instance, family life or something like this. I think it's definitely worth it and it's something that can really move the needle in helping you put your time and attention really where you intend to. Thank you so much for your time today, Chloe, and thank you also for these very uplifting parting words. Thank you so much for this lovely conversation and these really good questions. Thank you also to you, our listeners, for being here. We'll be back in two weeks with more episodes on how to live and work well in a digital world. So if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find all the relevant links and information on Chloe, This Too Shall Grow and Tech Bliss in the show notes of this episode. And I look forward to seeing you next time.